Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a weekend? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today we have Mark Etheridge of D1 Baseball. Mark talked, uh, hopped on the show to talk about SEC Extra, D1's new subscription within the subscription package, giving you extra SEC baseball coverage. What he thinks of the league this year, the defending national champion Ole Miss Rebels, how he thinks the East and Western division shakes out, and kind of the landscape of college baseball as a whole. So good conversation. I think you enjoyed it. Enjoyed chopping it up with Mark. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Fix. Who is Skybox Sports Fix? Well, glad you asked that the best, world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Here's some stats for you. Skybox went 65 and 43, up 50 units last week in college basketball. Did you do that? Probably not. They're free plays just from following them on Twitter. Eight and two last week, which is absolutely ridiculous. They clean it up this time of year in college basketball. You've got the NFL playoffs going. If you're into wagering, you're tired of losing money to your bookie. Skybox is the only option to profit in the long run. Their algorithm, as I've told you guys time and time again, absolutely murders it when it comes to college basketball. They are well over 60% year after year. That is their bread and butter. You need to cash in now while you can. They're crushing it in the NFL. They've got NASCAR coming up. You had Skybox Mark, who's coming on the pod here soon, to explain how he ended up plus 200 units in NASCAR last year and all kinds of other great stuff. All you have to do is go online, skyboxsportspicks.com, find a picks package. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. I'd recommend just signing up for the year-long all-access pass. You can do one sport, multiple sports, whatever. Buy it. They'll send you a nice color-coded spreadsheet that's got the picks by units, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were five minutes before. And if you use the promo code RIPPY, that's R-I-P-P-E-E, that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a RIPPY Right subscriber or listener, you get a free newsletter from me a couple of times a week, all these podcasts and discounted meets. Just go in there, show and proof of subscription, and you get three Six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation that you're getting for 20 bucks. Boom. That's you and the buddies just throwing three steaks on the grill. Then go find all your own favorites there. They got all kinds of delicious sausages, fresh seafood, delicious sides. It's the best butcher shop in the world. It's the crown jewel of Oxford. Got to see my man Greg over the weekend. He wants to make your growing experience great. Check them out. If you're in Oxford and you don't go by LB's, you're missing out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is D1 Baseball's Mark Etheridge. All right, we now welcome on D1 Baseball writer Mark Etheridge. It's good to see you. That means it's this time of year where we're all prepping for the college baseball season. I really appreciate you joining the show. And we'll get out just out in front of it off the top, the D1's new venture, um, a subscription on top of the subscription for extra SEC baseball coverage. It is SEC extra. I've enjoyed what you guys have done so far. Kind of give the people a little bit of an idea of how that came about and what they should expect. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Brian, for the opportunity to, to to talk about it a little bit. I mean, you know, D1 baseball, we are the, the leader in college baseball and cover it, um, you know, we have full-time staff covering it. And, and that's unique in this space. And what the what D1 decided to do is it, you've been looking for opportunities to grow and expand and, and where, where else to start 
but to focus on uh, right it's like the old analogy okay i'm going to throw my bait where the fish are well right. you're going in in college baseball you know lingo that's the sec that's where your fans are that's where your programs are that, that have the biggest fan base the most excitement the greatest facilities greatest players having the most success all the all those things so so that's what that's what um, D1 has decided to do, and as a result, uh, they hired Joe Healy, who was at Baseball America, and and brought in me in an expanded role um, to 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 work on this SEC focused subscription site. So, what does that mean? So, what there's already plenty of SEC coverage on D1. Okay, that's huge programs, big fan bases. There, there there's no shortage. However, is you know I've been doing this a long time. When you try to cover the entire gamut of a sport, you can only go about this deep. Okay, there's just too too much breadth to, to get through. So if you can narrow that focus, now you're only looking at 14. I know it's growing to 16, but right now you're 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 looking at 14 teams, and you can go so much deeper on those and and give the I guess the, the the depth of coverage almost like a beat, right? Because you're shrinking your coverage. You're not there every day, so it's a little bit different. But you're more. What we'll do is we'll go in and out, right? We'll we'll make trips to a, you know, to 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 venues, um, try to find the stories that are interesting. But we'll also we can cover a lot in this day and age from home, right? Because with the way that the uh, the SEC Plus and the SEC Network and you know ESPN Plus, all that, all that has evolved. It's just a different, different job now. So, kind of our mission statement when we're trying to decide, okay, well, okay, we have this cool gig now. What are we going to do with it? Is to try to tell the the undertold story. Okay, maybe it's missing. Maybe it's just kind of halfway told because you know the, for whatever reason and. To try to look a little deeper. Yes, certainly we're going to cover the, you know, LSU-Tennessee play this year. Could be one number two matchup. They are preseason. You better believe we're going to be there. But also, you know, looking at the the, the stories, you know, of Kentucky or Missouri or Alabama or someone who traditionally hasn't had as much success, there's still great stories there. And I think that's that's the mission for us is to try to tell interesting stories, to try to tell, to try to connect with people and also try to inform and, and teach you something that maybe you can't get somewhere else. Yeah, and it's definitely con- coincided with the growth and popularity of college baseball with the F- SEC at the epicenter. And you talked about it a second ago where it's like when you're trying to cover the whole country you know, as a whole, there's a ton of programs. There's a ton of relevant programs. It's tough. I mean, I've, I've talked to Aaron a couple of times where he's like, come mm. down from North Carolina. He'll hit Ole Miss a day, stay today, try to get down to Southern and maybe even hit a school in Alabama. And that's hard mm. work. And they do a great, everyone at D1 does a great job doing it. But man, when you got four different schools to write about from one trip, there's always so much you can do and it can get overwhelming. And, you know, as the growth and popularity of college baseball has grown in the SEC, I think this something like this was one needed, but two really just kind of coincides and represents that growth because I noticed it last year. I've always watched a decent bit of college baseball, but you have Tennessee is kind of this abrasive program on the rise and they're packing out the stadiums and Auburn Mm -hmm. is even caring about it more. And it just seems 
with the availability of television now, and you can stream it on SEC Network or SEC Network Plus or watch ESPN or whatever, more programs and more fan bases have gotten invested into college baseball to where I won't say beyond what I thought it could be because I'd never really thought about it that way, but it was jarring to me throughout particularly 2022 to see so many filled stadiums beyond just the typical suspects. And obviously as someone who likes college baseball, it's a great thing to see, but that really was something that struck me last year. And I imagine that probably got on you guys' radar pretty well uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And something you said kind of resonated with me. Um, In my opinion, baseball is a connection sport. Okay. So you can, you can watch basketball, you can watch football and enjoy the pure athleticism or the, the hard hits or the strategy or what, whatever it is that, that really, really draws you to that sport. I think baseball is more, I need a reason, right? I need a reason to, to watch this game. And, and I think the reason for some people is, you know, that day over day, you get to learn the players, you get so much interaction with them, you get to see their struggles, you get to see their highs, and their lows, uh, and go through that. But the other part of that is just understanding, I mean, they're not, they're not wearing helmets out there, you actually see what they look like, you can build a connection with them. And that's where, you know, in a role through the through the media or, or someone like what, what we're trying to do is to help foster that connection and give you a glimpse into, okay, well, why should I care? Okay. What, what, why is this story compelling? Why is this, why is this atmosphere so cool? You know, you talked about going to Tennessee or, you know, you certainly in, in Oxford or Starkville or wherever you want to go in the SEC that has these cool atmospheres, LSU. Right. So those are the kinds of things that we're going to try to find and, and give you that, that lanyard, right? They give you that little bit extra that you might not get otherwise um, because of, you know, I've been doing this a long time. This will be year number 25 for me covering college baseball. I have seen Ole Miss play an Ole Miss team that was not coached by Mike Bianco, right? So, <laughs> so I mean, there's not as many of us around as it used to be, right? So, those kinds of things. So think about all the differences that the sport has gone through. You know, there was a 4018 field, you know, in, in 1998. So those kinds of things that have changed. And, you know, we used to hit, you know, hit refresh on our game tracker, all right, live stats. And that's how we found out how games ended, right? Who won the games? And now you're, you're almost screaming all of them. So it's really changed the way that, that you cover the sport is changed the way that that you consume all of these details about the sport, and and I think it's fascinating to to try to find out the right angles. Um, you know, someone who is working for an outlet to try to find out what do people care about and and how do we give that to them, and that and that's what we're going to do. And you know, we're gonna we're gonna work really hard at it. We're probably going to screw up a lot, but we're also going to learn from it and and find out how to give people what they're looking for. Yeah, and the TV aspect of it is massive. I mean, even just from a national exposure standpoint, I have friends that, you know, recent college grads that probably, I mean, they like Ole Miss baseball, but they probably weren't super into college baseball as a whole. 
But now with all the games regularly available, like the last couple of years, I've had people chime in. It's like this first weekend in the NCAA tournament, this rules. Like, this is awesome. I'm like, yeah, welcome to the party, man. This is a lot of fun. Like, this is good stuff. Right. And I think only you'll get more and more of that as, as the exposure continues and the coverage continues, which is a large part of what you guys are doing. And as we kind of dive into the SEC, you guys are doing a lot of schedule breakdowns right now, which I really mm-hmm. enjoy because you guys really hit kind of key points in the year and kind of what might be the crux of a team season. And as big of a bear as the SEC is, I appreciate the fact that you guys, my natural instinct, I'm halfway kidding here, is like, yeah, well, this team's screwed, this team's screwed, and this team is screwed because the schedules are just kind of ridiculous. As you've waded through kind of each program in the SEC this offseason, I mean, this is a broad question, but just how would you articulate how strong the league is 1 through 14? Yeah, it's – I tell you, that's a broad question. But first off, it has never been stronger than it is now, and there are a couple reasons for that. One, the money that's coming into the programs has allowed you know facility upgrades. You you take you take some of these YouTube tours of the facilities and look and see what they have to to offer uh, recruits, and you see why they're recruiting well. Okay. Two, there's money for coaches, head coaches, assistant coaches, um, you know, baseball ops guys. There's money to to fund those positions. And then I I think, you know, when you have those sorts of things, you have great facilities, you have great coaches, that leads to bringing in great players. And then great players that are being developed and becoming draft, you know, draft guys. Well, every, every, you know, high school kid sees that and they go, wait, I can go play in this facility and get developed and play in this atmosphere that's incredible versus go to the pros and do, do the whole bus tour thing, I think I want to give college baseball a chance. And years ago, back when I was, you know, early in my college baseball covering journey, those guys didn't go to college. They went, they went straight to the pros. So your talent level has improved. Your coaching has improved. Your game experience, you know, the, the whole athlete experience has improved. Um, all of that just continues to grow. Okay. So that's the first thing, the on the field product. The second thing that's really taken, uh, I guess, a, a bigger step is now if you have, you know, you have a guy who you sign who underperforms, you can just go get his replacement from the portal. Exactly. And that is that is a huge benefit. Not we're not we hadn't even got to NIL yet, but uh, just to be able to go out and fill those those gaps where before you just had to fight through, maybe, you know, you had an automatic out at the bottom of your lineup because you just didn't have anybody better. Well, now you can go out and and look and, and grab a top mid-major guy who's proven, or maybe a guy who was at a power program who just was behind a better guy. And all of a sudden, you know, he comes into your program and, and, and he gets that opportunity and he flourishes. And I think that's, that's the difference now versus three, four years ago, is there just no holes. The the teams are, are are more complete. And as a result, that makes that, you know, is how you kick this question off. The 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 margin for error is just strong, man. You go you can be Mississippi State and win the whole thing and the next year you're at the bottom. And you know, you get a few injuries, you have a few underperformers, you just have some bad luck. And all of a sudden you, you see how that can plummet. So I think that's the biggest difference I've seen 
not just from when I started, but I mean, within the last few years, just seeing how, how the, uh, you know, if you, if you don't have that elite talent and you don't have those, um, that lineup depth to withstand injuries, withstand slumps, things like that, then, then you're not going to succeed in this conference. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it works. I mean, like you have the mid-major kids that were, you know, late bloomers or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Like LSU grab schemes from the portal. But you even have guys from other power five leagues like Tommy White's like, I'll go give the SEC a try. Like Jacob Berry, who a lot of Ole Miss fans are definitely happy to not see anymore between la- – they didn't play in the series last year, but the 21 Tucson Super. Like I know he was following his coach, but then he goes to the SEC and like the talent just continues to increase – as you look at this from an East-West perspective, I think for a long time, you could make an argument that the West was probably deeper, even though if the East, depending on mm-hmm. what Florida was, Georgia was, Vandy was, you know, probably a little more top-heavy. Now it seems a little more even because you got Tennessee kind of coming into the fold. You have Vandy, who's still going to remain to be Vandy. And then yeah. you got Georgia. And even, you know, I don't know. I can't imagine South Carolina is going to be as bad as they are for too terribly long. And so it seems a little bit more balanced. I guess we'll start with the West. LSU's the big storyline, right, going in. You know, there's some crazy NIL numbers being floated out Mm -hmm. about kind of how they assembled this team. They seem loaded from top to bottom. And, uh, you know, the lineup between Cruz and White and Trey Morgan and whomever else you want to throw in there, it's it's pretty nasty. And so I guess I'll start here. It's like if you were going to nitpick some chink in the armor with this LSU team, would it just be the pitching because it's not guys that have been there, done that, or at least it's not as many of them? How do you kind of see this LSU team living up to expectations? Yeah. I mean, if this were basketball, I'd say, well, there's only one basketball. That would be the the analogy I would use. How are all this – I mean, it's basically an all-star team that you went out and assembled and brought into the current nucleus that was already pretty good. Um, how are they all going to mesh? Because, you know, you, you can only play nine at a time, um, ten with the age. So that that to me is is the question, and and I know that's a common question, and, and I'm sure Jay Johnson has an answer for it. But that will be, you know, the proof's in the pudding. That will be how – because it's like a – this is the first time it's been – this drastic, I think, with this this many high profile additions, just to see how this whole science experiment works. Um, so it, that's my question. The, the on the field ability, they look incredible. They look like the national champion. But as we we've seen what with Tennessee last year, with Arkansas the year before, usually the best team doesn't win the title. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where you have to be playing your best ball at the right time. You need some breaks. Right? You need things to go your way. Yeah, but looking at LSU with, with, with Cruz and White and I mean those and schemes you mentioned, he's a two way guy, right? I mean it's just uh, it's it's just it's an embarrassment of riches. I can't wait to watch it. You know, from a from a guy who covers the sport, it's really fascinating. You know, to see all these storylines and all these this all-star team assembled, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's great. It, you know, you mentioned a little bit about East versus West. Uh, I, I do think South Carolina is going to be better this year. Um, they, they have, a, you know, they finished pretty strong last year. They just had dug themselves too big a hole um, in, in their schedule. You know, with, I'm in, among the SEC. I've got something that I put on the SEC extra site about that. And, it's a it's for an SEC team. They miss the right teams. You know, it's it's important who you play, 
who you play at home versus away. And it's important who you don't play because you miss three teams every year. So if you, you happen to miss, um, you know, the three right teams, um, that can really help you, you know, because so often among the SEC, the conference record and the RPI together of what gets you in, you know, you're, if you're a bubble team, that's that's why you're in, that's why you're out. That's why Ole Miss got in last year. No kidding. Right? Because the, the, the uh, it, but if there's one game difference, maybe they had to play, I don't know, I, I don't remember who they played and who they didn't last year, but if they had a one harder series than the one they had, maybe replace Missouri with whoever, um, maybe they don't get in because it's one game difference, right? That's how close it can be. And and I, so any advantage you can get, and, and that's something I like to talk about is these conferences bloat and they get bigger and bigger. You know, we always talk about non-conference strength of schedule. You need to consider in-conference strength of schedule because these conference schedules are not balanced. And just because you win your conference doesn't mean you're actually the best team, which is kind of counterintuitive, right? But but a lot of it depends on who you drew and who you missed. This is a simplistic way to look at it, but in a lot of ways, it almost seems like Dave Van Horn might be the new Mike Bianco in terms like the ultimate monkey off of his back. Bianco's was far more dramatic in terms of postseason failures and success. Arkansas has, of course, been about as close as you could possibly get to ever winning a national title without getting one. Over the last three to four years, I mean, I'm thinking all the way back to probably 18 or so, because that 19 team old Miss played them in the Super. They were just, Arkansas was just a better baseball team. That team was absolutely sick. But it seems like they've been kind of at the peak of a peak of a talent cycle for a while. And at a certain point, I guess that just becomes reloading. And Van Horn's always going to have talent there. It seems like they bring some familiarity back in the starting rotation. How do you kind of view this Arkansas team compared to the last couple of years? Do you think they are an Omaha contender? You know, maybe it's one of those deals where, like Mike's, I wouldn't say 2021 or, excuse me, 22 is his best team ever, but they got hot and they made it happen. How do you kind of view this Arkansas team this year? Yeah, well, you know, it's they have elite pitching. I mean, Jackson Wiggins on Friday, he's going to be one of these guys throws throws 100, 101, 102. I mean, it's it's that kind of arm. And when you have a guy like that, if if he commands it at all, that's a problem, right? And then they got Brady Tiger, their closer, who has a big league curveball right now. I mean, it's an elite breaking pitch. If you remember him from last year, you remember that curveball was different. Okay. And then offensively, they've got a freshman. I'm blanking on his name. I want to say Jason Jones. Anyway, um, he's he's that kind of guy who can be that elite difference maker, you know, right off the bat. And plus they, they've got guys coming back and you know, who have had so much success. That's an incredible home atmosphere, huge advantage playing at home. Um, it, it, I think you know Arkansas is one of the teams to beat. Uh, granted, it's a long list if you're looking in the SEC, but nationally, I mean, LSU, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Florida would be another one I would mention. Um, who am I leaving out? Um, Vandy. Um, I mean that that whole and A&M group. went to Omaha. A&M. Year, right? yeah, like, you know, they're, they're a, way far down yeah. on the list in terms of thoughts. Like you get six teams deep in the West, and it's like, oh, could this team go to Omaha? It's nuts. And, and and Alabama has their best team that they've had in the Brad Bohannon era. They they've kind of been bubbleish. Well, this year they're old. 
that all these guys that have taken lumps and lost all these games over the years, well, now they're they're grownups and they're going to be 22, 23 year olds playing against, you know, 20 year olds. And that matters, right? If they have ability and, and they have some pitching this year. So even the teams that you, you, you suspect, you know, Oh, well, we're going to win that series. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think so, man. It, it's, it, it's really going to be one of those, you know, sports writers like to say anybody can win, but I think anybody really can this year. You mentioned Alabama. I wanted to get to them because they're fascinating. You guys had them 20th in your preseason yeah. poll, which probably on the surface raised some eyeballs. But you mentioned you're exactly right. They're an older team, right? Particularly, I mean, it comes down in this league. If you got two frontline starters, you got a pretty damn good shot. And they have that in McNary and McMillan. Pohannon had a great quote. I can't remember who wrote it, who gave it to him. But he said, this is our most talented team. Who knows how it stacks up? to these teams bought in the transfer portal. It's kind of unapologetic right. about it. I was like kind of buried in there. I was like, I love that. He's just so openly yeah. salty about it, but they're good. And I felt like you've heard for three, four years now, Hey, Alabama's going to be better. They're going to be better. This feels like the arrival. This feels like their best shot to actually kind of make some hay to finish in the top half of the West and not sweat it out as a bubble team. Are you kind of of right. the same belief? Yeah. Well, you know, the, you mentioned the, those two older guys, McMillan and McNary they're probably the fourth or fifth best pitchers on this team right now. Right. Um, I mean, with, with Grayson hit, who's probably a first rounder. He's a left lefty throwing 97. Then they've got Ben Hess, who you may remember from the SEC tournament last year, pitched really well for them. He's moved into that next spot. Just he's another pro guy. And then they've got a freshman, Riley Quick, who was a football guy. All right, 6'5", 260-pound offensive lineman. His brother was a big recruit who played, played or was on the Alabama team. I don't think he ever played much. But anyway, he was there. And, and Riley Quick, has, they may use him as a closer because he's got that football mentality and you're not going to phase him. And plus, nobody's going to charge the mound when you're 6'5", you know, 270. And see, that was a thing. It was kind of a fascinating story with him because, you know, he was going to play both. But you can't really play offensive lineman and pitcher, okay? You're just going to get too bulky as an offensive lineman, and you're going to lose that that arm whip action. So he he had to make a make a decision, and they thought that his you know his professional future was much better as as a pitcher, and he was just lights out this fall. I can't wait to see what he does this spring. And one team that uh, you guys actually had an article come out today about teams that narrowly missed the top 25, and it answered about five questions I had about kind of SEC teams on the edge. One of those mainly being Mississippi State, right? They win the mm -hmm. whole thing in 21. They have kind of a disastrous season in 22 where they probably had to replace more than maybe everyone kind of thought once you really dug into it. Then you lose Sims, and it just seemed like one thing after another. And by May, it's like, God, can they get to the finish line? They're going to be a good club. They're going to be a very competitive club. But I imagine on you guys' end, the hesitation to put them in the top 25 probably starts on the mound because, I mean, from Smith to Stud, yeah. Sinet to whomever else, like it's just haven't seen it yet. You know, they're talented kids, but they didn't really get to showcase it last year. Is that kind of the one hesitation? Because I do think yeah. that people hit a lot. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's just where the win's going to come from. I mean, look at you're in the West, so you're going to play those other six West teams. Um, and I mean, are you going to take Mississippi State's rotation over any of the other six? Maybe, maybe Auburn. 
maybe. But Auburn probably with, not. With Gonzalez is really good on Friday. I mean, I mean that that's the that's what you run into. So um I don't know that it's as much about you know not believing in Mississippi State as it just, oh man, where are the wins gonna come from? Um I mean, you still got to play Tennessee. You still got to play Vandy. You still got to play, you know, all these other teams in the East too. It's just a, it, it's tough. And and you could be, you know, a thirteen and seventeen kind of SEC team and be really good. And and I think that's going to be fascinating this year. You know, I call it the Ole Miss effect, where the last team I'm using air quotes here, the last team in the field, won the whole thing. So does that change how you evaluate? Certainly your criteria didn't change, but does that change the people in the room and they go, well, it's always been best versus, you know, most deserving. Okay. And there you, you pick somewhere in between. Well, maybe you're leaning more towards, okay, if these teams play who, who I think would win versus, you know, what has already happened. And that's, is to me, it's fascinating to see because of what happened last year and a team that everyone agreed was supremely talented and figured it out late in the year and nobody wanted to play them, but they didn't win enough games, you know, to, to be a, to say they deserved to be in without a doubt, but they got in and and they kicked the door down. So that's the huge, that's, that's fascinating to me is just to see, you know, who's, who's this year's Ole Miss? Who's going, I don't think it's going to be Ole Miss. It, it'll be someone who's going to be in that similar spot who we know is really good, who's probably in our top 10, 15 teams right now, and who struggles, maybe has some injuries, and then figures it out late, and the committee has a difficult decision because they know that this team is better than some of the, you know, the others that are being compared against, but they can't prove it because you don't have that resume. So yeah, I mean, it's fun stuff. You're spot on. I've, I mean, I've seen Mike Bianco stump for that at the end of the SEC tournament, whatever that is for them, for five years in a row. Right. To his credit, not when they're always bubble teams. He's always like, please don't look at number of teams out of one league. Please just take the best mm-hmm. team no matter what. He's been on that for a while. And then as if the Egg Bowl robbery could get any weirder, a lot of people think that, you know, John Cohen being in the room didn't exactly hurt Ole Miss his case right. to get in as the last team. What another team that's fascinating that you guys had just outside the top 25 is Auburn. And I think understandably so, kind of given what they lost. And yeah. honest to God, one of the best coaching jobs I can remember seeing in recent history is Butch getting that team to Omaha last yeah. year. That gets to the point. It's getting to the point now where it's like, I don't really care who he has. They're probably going to be in the mix. How do you kind of see Auburn this year? Because I know they're going to have two pitchers that we don't know who they are yet. By April, everyone's going to know who they are. It just seems like that's how it works with Butch Thompson. Yeah, I mean – you bet against Butch, you're going to lose. I mean, he has just proven um, how good a coach he is, and and a lot of times it's it's when you, you know, when you're everyone's focused on other teams, they're the ones that, you know, that that exceed expectations, kind of like what we're doing now. You know, we're talking about all these other teams in the West, and maybe Auburn is sixth or seventh in the West, um, but twenty. Seventh in the country. Yeah, so somebody's got to finish last. Right? So yeah, so it's. I agree. I, they're a fascinating team to watch. They're going to be really good. They're deep on the mound. You know, after Gonzalez, they don't. You know, they've got some guys who will be just changing roles, right? Guys who were bullpen. You know, key guys out of the bullpen, but you know they had a deep 
you know, that deep core. So moving into those new roles, how do you do, you know, how do you do third time through the lineup? And those, those are the things that, you know, this isn't unique to Auburn, but this, those are the, the questions that we have for Auburn heading into the year. I think, I think offensively, you know, you're not going to have the SEC player of the year more likely, you know, Sonny's gone and you're going to have to make that up through, through multiple guys. Nobody's going to hit 20 bombs and, and draw, you know, 80 walks or whatever it was he did. So you, you're going to have to get that through multiple players and, and and they're prepared to do that. It's just a question of, you know, performing. Old Miss is a little bit similar to state in regard. If you look at the team, like it's like, all right, well, they lose to Lucia. You know, you have Hunter Elliott coming back, but like mm-hmm. what else? Cause they had a couple key injuries, right? I don't think Riley Maddox is going to pitch for them this year. They lose mallets to Tommy John. So that's two pretty key guys that they're going to be without, which really kind of lends a lot of stress on a couple of these newcomers. And I think they have some options and Mike, to his credit, whatever else you gripes you have about him, he's kind of always figures the pitching out. I mean, last year was the extreme to where he like abandoned the concept of starting pitching for two weeks. That was a wild time. And then all of a sudden he found two guys and they took off. How do you kind of view this old Miss team? Because they returned a lot of offense. They could have a weird year in 2024 where they're having to replace like all nine, all eight positions. But like, how do you view them kind of coming off defending a title and bringing enough back pitching was, but enough to kind of leave you, are you sure well, they're buttoned up there? How do you kind of view Ole Miss going in this year? Yeah, there are pieces. And that's the, you know, that to me, the, uh, what do you do with Doherty? Um, is do right. you leave him in the bullpen and make him a closer, but then you risk not having him pitch meaningful innings, right? You, you way ahead, way behind, maybe you don't need him. Or do you move him into the rotation? I mean, he's proven he, he can be stretched out and, and be effective. Um, could he be the number two guy, right? Um, I, I think those are – in it. it's a good problem to have, and, and I think you have a guy that you're comfortable with in either role. Um, I think it's going to depend on what the other guys do. And, you know, the newcomers coming in, you know, the the, the, the freshman everybody's raving about, is it Sonia? Um, yeah, Sonia. I think that's yeah. – I think you nailed it with Doherty because like in a perfect world, if those newcomers, particularly Sonia, who they're definitely banking on, but even the guy coming in as the second or third or even kind of fourth option, if they live up to par, you can kind of keep Doherty back there. I think you nailed it with that's kind of a key piece in terms of the pitching staff, because if he has moved around and he's not at the back end, that to me would tell you something maybe didn't quite go as planned. Maybe it doesn't turn Mm -hmm. out that way, but I think he's a good indicator. Yeah, I agree. And then, and then you you know you have a, you know a top five recruit at shortstop. I mean, a you know, top five draft pick at shortstop potentially. Is he going to play like it? You know, he's certainly had glimpses where he looks amazing, and then you know other times where he's he's kind of struggles. And I, I think you know I think what you hit what like two seventy two seventy nine something like that last year. So yeah, I think for someone of his ability. I mean, you're looking for him to carry you this year because he's the guy, right? And you're looking at a, you know, you want him to hit, you know, 330 with those 20 bombs, right? And 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 a lot of that's going to depend on who's hitting around him. You know, is it is it Alderman? Is it Paris? Is it, you know, who, right? Who, who's going to end up being that that guy to step forward and be lineup protection for your your top hitters and I think the other the other thing to figure out is um, 
what kind of team is this going to be? Is this going to be, you know, the 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 team that waits on the three run homer? Or is this more of a doubles kind of club? Or you know, you got some athletes out there. Maybe run the you know, maybe run more and and be more aggressive. And not not exactly talking about bunning here. I, I know who I'm whose team I'm talking about, but, but, but there are things you can do to be more aggressive versus sitting back and waiting on the, the, the long ball. So, so those are the, to me, that those are kind of the questions that I have going into, into Ole Miss' spring. You're exactly right. Cause that's when they finally took off. They had literally no margin for error for about two and a half months. They were completely smoking mirrors. If they didn't hit three home runs in a game, they mm-hmm. didn't have a chance. And a lot of time in mid April, they had a game against Alabama where I think they hit five in a day and they lost and then lost the series despite hitting nine. It was the wildest thing ever, but it was completely smoking mirrors. I'm fascinated to see kind of the title defense of freer Mike Bianco. You know, he's got like the ultimate monkey off his back. And a lot of times that's when he's at his best. The yeah. other side of it, who's winning this East? Um, it's certainly Tennessee is is the team to beat that rotation. I mean, they had those four studs last year, and they have three of them back. Uh, it's you know, it's the the question for for me. Well, it was a couple of them. So offensively, they lost so much productivity. They also lost some, you know, some some really big characters, right? Big, to say the least. Big, yeah, big guys who were. Who were polarizing, perhaps, to the rest of the country, but um, what what does this look like this year? Are they are they more or just a normal team, right? That without all the antics and the the in your face stuff, or do they double down and try to recreate what they did last year? It obviously was successful, you know, for for the bulk of the year. Um, I, the thing about about Tony's teams is. They always play hard, and and the, he always has guys. He always has people that are talented, and I don't think any of that has changed. If anything, you know, last year was you know they went to Omaha the year before, and last year was even better. There's a there's a proof of concept now, and he's able to go and he got the shortstop from Kansas. He got the third baseman from Alabama. He's able to go out and plug in places like we talked about to fill some of these gaps. And because of that, um, you know, in a year that he might have had a few holes in the lineup, he doesn't. Right? They're, they're still going to be in a really, really strong lineup. And, and in, the, in that ballpark, uh, if you can hit the ball in the air, you can you can have a lot of success. Um, and, and I think their pitchers, they're going to strike out a lot of guys. And 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 they've got a they've got options in the pen. Um, I think they are the team to beat. I think after that, I really like Florida's club. Uh, I went to Jacksonville and saw them play Georgia in the, in the fall game, which is a cool deal. If anybody ever gets a chance to go, it's, it's the Friday night before their their football game on Saturday. And um, they the last few years, you know, they've lost in regionals both home regionals both years. And I just feel like this year they're just a little bit more together, a little bit more um, – just have a better vibe uh, on Florida. And I think, you know, they, they, they got the pitcher from Southern Miss, Waldrop. Um, they also have Brandon Sproke back, who is, you know, who normally be an ace. Um, now they have two. And then they have um, their third guy, Pierce – I think it's Coppola. 
He's a six nine lefty who throws mid nineties and is just an awful look for a left handed batter. It's not much fun, I imagine, from the right side either, but from the left, it's it's brutal. So you got those, that kind of rotation. You think about when Florida was really good a few years ago, they just had that ungodly rotation that nobody could deal with. And this could be just that kind of deal. Um, and I, I really like Florida's team. And if Tennessee wasn't there, I would pick them to win these. Can Tennessee – the last year they were fascinating. I like You've been around college baseball a long time. Is there a comparable villain? Because last no. year to me – and look, everywhere in the day and age where everything's the next and latest creek. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. I found it wildly entertaining, even if I didn't like love every aspect of it. Is there a comp to that at yeah. all? It's unlike anything I'd ever seen. Well, it, no, to answer your question. Um, the, the point I would make with it is – because of all the things we talked about before, more people saw it and it became more appointment viewing to be able to watch them. And if they were behind, people would be texting me and go, Hey, is Tennessee going to lose tonight? And I'm it like, got to the point where you wonder when they were going to lose. Know you game. like college baseball. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But I didn't even know people, you know, because I'm the college baseball guy. So they, they would just reach out. I'm like, you're watching college baseball. Yeah. I'm, I'm so ready to somebody to humble Tennessee. I'm like, oh boy. So this is, you know, this wasn't a bad thing for for our sport. I know a lot of people banged on Tennessee and, and rightfully so for some of the, some of the antics, but but it was it was interesting and they were able to a, a more viewers and, and more fans that were interested for whatever reason and hopefully some of them stick around and and watch and, and appreciate the sport for what it is. I totally agree. I think where like people that got lost is like they had some like local media there. I think there was a column written about how it's just a like college baseball was suffering without them in the Omaha. It's like oh they'll probably be yeah. okay. But to your point, it was incredibly entertaining. It put more eyes on it. They were a villain. I got the same thing. I had people who was like Man, I can't wait to see these guys lose. I didn't even know you watched the sport. It's, it's just nuts. Right. It seems yeah. like a like I'm very curious about the character of that team more than anything else because that role works when you win at an ungodly level like they did. Yeah. What happens when they're not as successful? Like, does you, I guess it would honestly be more maddening if they kept the same bravado. I'm fascinated to see that. Corbin and Vandy had kind of a down year by their standards last year. Look, NIL is kind of changing the game, and there's probably a larger conversation for another day to be had about what that means for places that you typically, like Vanderbilt, have scholarship advantages. But I can't imagine they're just going to bow out quietly and it's another average Vandy team. And we talked about Tennessee and Florida and how many years in the past we've talked about two teams before Vandy in the East. Kind of give me what – I don't know much about their club. What did they kind of have going this year? Pitching. Pitching. Um, the, uh, the guy that you want is – you may remember from last year. Uh, his name is uh, Carter Holton, and Stunned. he's left-hander. Yeah, he's really good. He's going to be their Friday guy. And then they have a another freshman, um, and I do not know how to pronounce his name. It's Andrew Dutkantich, I believe. That's how you spell it. I had to look it up. Anyway, he is he's the he's the elite freshman. The next one that they seem to get annually. And he's a guy's, you know, he's a lead on arm, big draft guy. He's, he's one of these draft eligible after two years, freshman. So enjoy him this year and next year because he's going to be playing 
playing professionally after that. Um, but they're pitching. I mean, obviously, Bradfield is the star in the outfield. He's you know, Mr. Excitement center fielder runs down doubles in the in the gap, steals a bunch of bases, gets a bunch of hits, even hits home runs. But after that, the offense is the, it has some questions. They have some older guys who have had some success, um, but they don't really have that star-studded lineup like like they've had in some some seasons when they just kind of rolled. So that'll be the question for me: Do they hit enough? I, they're going to pitch. Is the question is, do they hit enough? Who's the team we're not talking about right now that could be in the mix for really maybe not even being on the bubble, kind of someone that jumps out, you know, mid-March, early April, whatever, that maybe we are not talking about right now. Do you have one of those teams? Um, I think we've talked about everybody. Uh, Georgia could be a team that could surprise. They lost a lot last year. But this is the deepest team that Strickland's had. They're um, they're going to hit. They had a really good offense last year. Hitting was not their problem, and they're going to be better offensively this year. So they're a problem um, lineup-wise. The question is, will they will they pitch enough? Um, Jaden Woods is their uh, – he's going to be their ace. He was a relief guy last year, kind of a bit piece. And it was kind of a cool story. He changed his grip on his breaking ball, and all of a sudden – Nobody can hit it, and he's he's controlling it. He was already throwing was one of these mid nineties fastball guys, and and now he's got an elite elite breaking ball, and he's throwing a change too. But anyway, so he's going to be their Friday guy. So he went from a guy who 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 you would come in and just max effort and throw fastballs, you know, in the seventh or eighth, to their to their ace, and and then they've got some depth behind him. There's not a lot of you know proven you know, elite stuff there, but there's a lot of good guys, right? And I think they could be a club that if if a couple of these guys step forward on the mound, their offense will carry them, and, and they're going to be a problem. Last thing before I let you go, we we talked a lot of obviously about the SEC, SEC extra and everything going on, and it, it seems like it's with everything with the strength of the league, it's the SEC's kind of become the epicenter of college baseball to a degree, maybe even before we've seen in the past. What is kind of your stance on maybe the wealth needing to be spread a little bit more. And I don't even really mean it in that sense, just strength outside the Southeastern conference, whether it's the West coast or other leagues in terms of the overall health of college baseball, how do you kind of see that trending? I know everything's cyclical to a degree, but like, if you just took a snapshot of it right now, it's like, man, you're trending toward the sec, just kind of basically being the national title with the amount of teams in Omaha each year. Like, do you think it's trending back the other way? How do you kind of view that in terms of the long-term landscape of college baseball? It does look that way. Um, certainly with, with Texas and Oklahoma, two Omaha teams last year joining the league, um, it's not going to get any easier. Um, there are definitely good programs outside the SEC, uh, and and you can win. And baseball is a little bit different in that the most talented team doesn't always win. So that, that does provide hope, and it provides, uh, if you can put a competent product on the field, and then you get some luck and you have some guys step forward that you, you can, whether we, we call that upsets or, you know, it's just baseball, right? It, you can compete. I, I think the other thing I would caution people on is all of this is new. We've had so much change in the last few years. It's going to level out, right? 
it's going, we're going to settle into something. I don't know where it's going to go yet. I'm not that smart, but it, with, with NIL, with, with the portal, maybe there's some guardrails put up to kind of deal with some of this. Maybe with NIL, maybe there's not as much return on investment as some people think right out of the gate. Um, I think you could see some of this kind of slow down and some of the advantages of today are not the advantages of tomorrow. But, you know, we'll see. He is Mark Etheridge of D1 Baseball. Be sure to sign up for SEC Extra. It is worth the price of admission and then some. I really appreciate the time, man. I'm looking forward to this year. Maybe I'll see you at the ballpark sometime. Yeah, looking forward to it. Take care. And that was Mark Etheridge. Really appreciate his time. Uh, looking forward to the college baseball season. We'll probably have him on again at some point to uh, talk some college baseball. But uh, everybody have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll holler at you on Monday.